jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungy leaps and into the end zone for Dungy. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Howard for Dungy! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive, but he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. 315-437-7644 is the number if you like to get involved. A jam-packed show. Big week for you here on the program as we head down to New York City. We'll be doing our shows from New York Thursday and Friday with an undefeated SU men's basketball team getting set to take on UConn Thursday night and then either Iowa or Oregon the following night. And then, of course, the main event comes Saturday afternoon, 2.30 at Yankee Stadium as the 12th-ranked SU football team gets set to take on number 3 Notre Dame with a lot on the line. Have you seen highlights of Bull Bull yet? A little bit here and there. I don't, I don't know how there's a human being who's able to do things that he does. You shouldn't be allowed to do the guard stuff when you're seven foot two. We said the same thing last week about uh, Zion Williamson. Yes, yes, exactly. And Syracuse may get to see both of them this year. Certainly, we'll see Zion. Yeah, barring an injury. Well, we'll, we'll see Bull Bull. Right, it just might not be against Syracuse. Just might not be against Syracuse. I, I think, I think it, it will be. I think so. I mean, I, I saw a highlight uh, over the weekend. And he had the ball, like, at the elbow. And he dribbles, spin move, gets past his guy, two-hand dunk. And he's seven foot two. That feels That feels very unfair. That's good stuff. Uh, we've got a lot to get to this week. We've got a lot to get to today. We've got the Hall of Famer Floyd Little set to join us at 1 o'clock. Uh, we may or may not have Adrian Autry at 1230. We're trying to track down SU's assistant basketball coach, uh, get his thoughts on a win over Moorhead State. Pedestrian win, Seth, 14-point victory. Closer than you would like at halftime. Syracuse, once again, didn't shoot it all that well from the outside, uh, but a win's a win. That's a, a pretty good team by you know the standards of, of this stage of the season. They gave UConn some trouble last week, gave Syracuse some trouble over the weekend, but the Orange improves to 2-0. and I think probably better than we expected them to be. Uh, I think a team that is probably going to be you know fighting for that, that conference championship over the course of the season. And you said it. It wasn't a convincing win. It wasn't a great-looking win. I never got the feeling they were going to lose. Nope. You know, and, and even as the lead got down to like one point, I, I never I never felt like that game was really in doubt. So yeah, it wasn't a great win. It, it wasn't anything great. Uh you you have to feel great about Tyus Battle, I think, coming out of that game. And, looked and, like Tyus Battle. And, and he just looked like himself in the second half and he looked really good. Uh but I never thought they were gonna lose. So I, I was never overly concerned sitting through that game. No, and we'll get more into basketball as the show moves along. The one thing that concerned me was and I'm not even concerned about Jalen Carey. I mean, Jim Beheim addressed that after the game. He said, "Listen, he's you know he's been rusty. He has, you know he hasn't been practicing. He'll get better." He had some trouble with with ball security in that game. The 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 thing that concerned me a little bit is the fact that 
that they missed so many three-point attempts. He had three for 16 Again. after going three for 17. And as you, this is my philosophy, Seth. The three-point line is the three-point line. And whether it's against Moorhead State or against Duke, the three-point line is the three-point line. So the fact that they've gone, you know, was at six for 33 in their two regular season games. <laughs> that so is, that's that a is little, not good. That's a little concerning because that was an issue last year. We thought they had it solved with, you know, Buddy and Elijah Hughes and everybody, you know, theoretically would be better shooting the ball and the looks would be better. Um, you know, Buddy's got to settle in. I think, you know, maybe some nerves to start the season, but the shots just aren't dropping. I, I think he will be fine eventually, but it's a, it's a problem. When they're not making threes, you know, a team like Moorhead State can stay in the game. So we'll get into basketball as the show moves along. We have to begin with football. And the 12th-ranked team in the country, Syracuse climbs one spot because Kentucky lost uh, to Tennessee over the weekend, and that sets up what we have had circled now for a few weeks. And that's the showdown with Notre Dame on Saturday. Ian Book sat out the game against Florida State. It sounds like he will play. Brian Kelly expects him to start. He's expected to return to practice tomorrow and expected to be just fine uh, in time for Saturday's game. We finally get to talk about this game um, after, you know, it was it was kind of just out there and we were hoping. I think everybody in this town was hoping that Syracuse would get to this game 8-2 and two and to make it meaningful. And it it feels like... The first really meaningful game for this program in a really long time. I think you could go back to 2001, the well, last to, time they were really good. I wanted to ask you, uh, because I, I threw this out there on Twitter, and, and I, I I really I just don't know the answer to it, but this is the biggest game since what? Is it that Miami game at the end of 01 where they went down to Miami and got just absolutely destroyed? Is it before that? Is it 98? Uh, what What is the game that you would point to and say, this is the biggest game in the program since X? And I, I don't know. I, I, and that's why I, I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to lean on Brent. I'm going to lean on you know people who have been here longer than I have and, and have grown up in, in this environment as well. What is this game? This is the biggest game since what game? I don't I don't know how far back you have to go. I think you could make a strong case for that game in 2001 against Miami. The Hurricanes were number one in the country. Syracuse had won eight straight games going into that one and was up to the in the top 15, 13 in one poll, 14th in the other. And you're right. They got absolutely shellacked. That was the Miami team. Nothing. That Miami team had like 20 Th- first-round picks that on That team it, was right? loaded. Um, I think prior to that, you could even go back to you know the 1998 Orange Bowl when, you know, McNabb's senior year, and they got crushed in that game as well. So you, you hope that you're not going to see a similar result on Saturday. I don't think you'll see a similar result to that. I mean, they were just not competitive against Miami, and really not competitive against Florida. I think Syracuse is going to be competitive in this game. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if Notre Dame can match Syracuse score for score. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Syracuse can slow down you know, Notre Dame and, and that rushing attack. And with Ian Book out over the weekend against Florida State, the Irish just ran it down Florida State's throats. I mean, you look at, at what that team did, and they put up 365 rushing yards against Florida State, which is an average of, of 7.3 yards per carry. They rushed it 50 times for 365 yards. They ran the ball 50 times, Seth. They did not have a single play go for negative yards. Not a single play stopped behind the line of scrimmage in 50 rushes. It's unbelievable. So we know that Ian Book is completing 75% of his passes. He's expected to return to the lineup. You add it you know, to that offense that they can run the ball. They feel like they can run the ball against anybody. Um, they're, they're the number 3 ranked team in the country for a reason. So this is going to be a whole lot of fun to watch. But the, the, my big takeaway from the weekend... 
was that Syracuse has established itself as the second-best team in the ACC. BC lost to Clemson. It wasn't close. They lost their quarterback in the process. Anthony Brown goes down with injury. No update on his status. Steve Adazio said afterwards that you know he's, he's dealing with some internal injuries, and obviously you hope that the young man is okay. Um, no update in terms of you know how he's doing or when he's coming back. And, and again, the when he's coming back is secondary to the, to the fact it sounds like a serious injury and you hope he's okay. Um, but from a football perspective... You know, Syracuse may go there next week and take on a BC team that's that's without its starting quarterback. Syracuse is the second best team in the conference as of right now. That was my my biggest takeaway from the weekend. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. NC State and Boston College were the other two who are really vying for that. I guess Virginia, if you want to throw them in the conversation as well. But uh, Boston College and NC State were the other two that were up there, and. They both lost, and neither one of them looked particularly good in those losses. So I agree with you. Uh, the the thing that would concern me with Syracuse going up to Boston College and, and seeing how that game plays out uh, is A.J. Dillon, and, sure. and that's always going to be a concern. So how does Syracuse bottle up A.J. Dillon? But we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but yes, I, th- I think that Syracuse has clearly... Uh, define themselves and broken themselves out as the best, the second best team, the best team behind Clemson. And let's look at let's look at the the course of this year. They're the only team that is going to give Clemson even something resembling a game. And Syracuse did a lot more than something resembling a game. But uh, I mean that as as a way of saying nobody else has played them relatively close. And Syracuse did. And I know that that's not a marker. That's not like a, a mile marker in a way to say, hey, look, this is the second best team in the conference. But when you pair that with the record, with the ranking, with the, the games that they have won over the course of the year, including beating NC State, I think that you end up at that point of, hey, they're the second best team. Also, uh, along these lines, this is the only reason why I sneak this in, uh, Pittsburgh's going to go win the Coastal. So that loss now doesn't look quite as bad as it did the Monday after that game. So you lost to the the two division champs. You lost to Clemson, you lost to Pittsburgh, and you may lose to Notre Dame, who's the third-ranked team in the country. And so if you have two losses to teams that are in the college football playoff, no shame in that. Um, The the BC game is big, and you're right. We'll We'll get to that when we get to that. That'll be put on the back burner, but... The winner of that game could be in line for a really nice bowl game. We'll see what happens this week with Notre Dame, but even if the New Year's Six is off the table, that bowl in Orlando, Camping World Bowl, they get the first pick after the New Year's Six. Yep. Why not take the second-best team in the ACC? And if Syracuse wins next week against BC, then they've certainly established themselves as the second-best team. And they'll be playing a team from the Big 12. Talk about an intriguing matchup. I mean the the offense in that game. Whether you know Texas Tech is one of the predictions, West Virginia. I mean there are you know many many predictions out if there. If Oklahoma were to lose to West Virginia back to back weeks, that I mean, happens. How many points are going to be scored? And that? that would be a, a a fun bowl game. So for that bowl committee to say, hey, we could get Syracuse against one of these offensive juggernauts from the Big Twelve. That would be very intriguing. So all this talk that well, it's definitely going to be the pinstripe bowl. The fact that Syracuse won, NC State and BC both lost. Now it looks like maybe a little bit of a of a better, quote-unquote, better bowl game. I think yeah. a lot of people around here would prefer SU goes to Orlando or somewhere warm opposed to going right back to Yankee Stadium. You know, I, I said this on Friday after the NC State game, but it, it got backed up this weekend with Boston College actually going and, and you know, losing, and, and they didn't pull the upset. I, I don't... I, I think that Syracuse now is past the pinstripe bowl. I, I think that given the scenario around them in the conference, I, I don't think they're going to end up in the pinstripe bowl. Last week on Wednesday, on Tuesday, 
I thought it was near an inevitability that they would end up in the pinstripe bowl. I thought that for whatever reason they wouldn't get chosen for for the camping unless world bowl, they won out. Unless they want and unless they won out, they weren't going to go to the Fiesta or the Peach. Uh, I think, and and this is something we could do later in the week. I think there's an outside cha- chance that if they beat Notre Dame and lose to Boston College, they could still go to the New Year's Six because the win because the win over Notre Dame would vault them so far that that a loss wouldn't pull them back enough. But I think that now, looking at this, I the only way that I see them going to the, the pinstripe bowl is if they lose both games. And I, they could? Sure, they yeah, could. Yeah, sure they could. But I, I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I, don't, I, I feel a lot less confident about that than I did this time last week. For what it's worth, uh, I looked up some of the, the bowl projections that are out there. Uh, ESPN, Sports Illustrated... And SB Nation all have Syracuse going to the Camping World Bowl. Uh, two of them have them playing Iowa State. Um, SB Nation has them going up against Texas Tech. CBS still has the Orange going to the Pinstripe Bowl to take on Purdue. Uh, Sporting News has the Sun Bowl. I don't really see that happening, but the Sun Bowl against Arizona, that's a New Year's yeah, I don't Eve think so. game. And then the College Football News uh, has Syracuse in the Fiesta Bowl right now against LSU, which well, because again, because if, it, if the right season now, ended today, that would make would sense. Be. You know, obviously a tall order to win out. I think they would have to win out to get in. But you understand it, my point, yes, though. Is that some of it depends on what happens ahead of them or yes. around them. Um, but yeah, I think that that darn loss to Pittsburgh, uh, you know, hurts them. If they had losses to, you know, Clemson and Notre Dame and that was it and they were 10-2, and two, it's easy. you could make a great case. Or even BC and, and Clemson with a win over Notre Dame, you could make a really strong case. The 9-3, the if, it, if it happens like that, I don't know. It, they would need some things to break right in order to go to the New Year's Six, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. It would take a long shot, but I, I think that there's an opening. Can I throw out my big takeaway from this weekend? Sure. From SU? Um, once again, we're looking at a Syracuse football game that was one uh, where, let's say, they took away one phase of the offense, or Syracuse didn't utilize it, or it didn't work quite as well as you would hope. And we're looking at a Syracuse game where the passing game had nothing to it, and they couldn't move the ball through the air, they weren't moving the ball through the air, and part of that is because they had a lot of success on the ground, but part of that is also just because they weren't hitting passes. And... I think that last year, the year before, the last year, the the year before that, for for really the last, uh, I, I'll go back to the Ryan Nassib team in this regard. For these five years between Ryan Nassib's senior year and now, if you took one phase of Syracuse's offense away, they were losing. And and that's not really the case anymore. You beat NC State almost exclusively throwing the ball. You've won the last two almost exclusively getting the job done on the ground. I think that that shows a lot of progress, and that and that shows a lot of growth. Um, you know, in in ways that maybe we didn't expect to see, because that game's not a game that they would win that handily or at all if they couldn't throw in the past. And and instead, they get 326 yards and five touchdowns on the ground, and they're able to blow out Louisville anyway, despite their quarterback completing about 50% of his passes. And I don't want to pat on the back, but I do like to point out every once in a while when I'm, when I'm right. And I suggested last week, I said, we might see a similar game plan as as to what worked against Wake Forest the week before, we talked about this last week about how you know Syracuse tried to, to throw the football and they they had to rely on the run to beat Wake Forest. And I said you know Louisville so bad against the run, we might see that again. And and we did see it again. You're right. I don't know if it was by design or by necessity, 
that you know they they didn't have a whole heck of a lot of success through the air, and Eric Dungy was a little off early on in the game, but they were able to run the ball with success. They were able to take advantage of of four first half Louisville turnovers. I would love to say the defense forced those turnovers to some degree. Really. Louisville just kind of handed them the ball a, a couple of times. I, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. The defense played played well and put pressure on the quarterback and had six sacks and all that and all that's good stuff. Louisville made some mistakes though, made a lot of mistakes with the the penalties and the turnovers and and they set Syracuse up with really good field position time and time again and they were able to to take advantage of that run defense and they did it on the ground. You are right. A couple of years ago they could not have won relying on the run or or if the the opponent took away what they wanted to do on offense, they weren't deep enough, they weren't talented talented enough to to win that game by, you know, going to their plan B. But we saw them go to plan B against Wake Forest and it worked out just fine. And again, I'm not sure running the ball was plan B against Louisville. It, it might have been, been plan, plan A. a. Um, and, and they were able to do that to the tune of you know over 300 yards on the ground and five touchdowns. Yeah, but I, I'm just impressed now that we've seen in back-to-back weeks that they've been able to go out and win these games. Because I, I just I don't believe that, or really the last three weeks, these, these last three games, because I, I, I really don't believe that um, that Syracuse of the last five years, and probably even longer than that, would have actually won that game. I, I don't believe that they would have gone out and had... Uh, half of their offense taken away and, and still managed a way to win and win convincingly the last two weeks. So I, I think it's really impressive that 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 to me feels like a corner turned. 315-437-7644. We do need to take our first time out. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. Stephen Fonte, Seth Goldberg, back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. Uh, we have just confirmed we will have Adrian Autry yes. on the show here in the next ten minutes or so uh, to talk some some Q's basketball. I need to I need to admit something first. Okay. Before we dive in, uh, my pockets a, a a little bit lighter. I I had made a a very very light. I don't I don't do much. A very light side wager with uh with our friend Paulie, and. Uh, he got he got the Boston College Syracuse game time right. I I didn't so. I thought you were gonna say that you. Uh, it's like he knows something. Finally put some money down on your picks. <laughs> no, uh, and it didn't work out for you. No. Tonight's game is big. Tonight's I was, game is big. I, I was three and one over the weekend, and I'm two and two. And tonight's game, we went opposite. So. Oh, I could I could make up two games you in could. the standings. You could, or we can end up tied for the week. Got off to such a great start too. And then the Bills, yeah, then the Bills. Know, actually played well. Um, Sorry. Maybe Matt, maybe Matt just, Barkley, quarterback of the future? Maybe I'll just pick against him every week. If that's going to be the end result, I'll just I'll sacrifice my record and I'll just pick against him will, every week. Will Matt Barkley uh, be the quarterback of the Bills? You know what? It's, it's a great question because he looked good, obviously. And I, I know you say that with a smile on your face and you're kind of joking about it. But he looked good. The offense looked good. They looked functional, really, for the first time all year. Bits and pieces of when Josh Allen was out there, they looked functional. But for a full game, they for looked a full really game, good. How do you now? Now you're going into your bye week. How do you now go into your bye week and then tell the guys on their team, yeah, you know, you, you know, as well as we played, well, we're you know, Josh Allen's ready, and we're going back to him now. Matt Barkley looked like the quarterback everybody thought he was going to be. Yeah. Um, he looked good. So I, I don't think no, he's not the quarterback of the future. Is he the quarterback for one more game? He's still young enough, though, that like if you really... like 28 he, years old. Right. I mean, he's like one of those guys, and I, I said this about Teddy Bridgewater, too, and Teddy's even a little bit younger, but there are guys who've like bounced around now, and, and you know, if 
if you if you get them in the right situation and and they uh, they kind of show what you you've always thought is in there, then there's still time. Like it's not like he's 34 and right. you're like, what are we doing here? I mean, Matt Barkley's 28. You know, if if he put together a decent stretch, a team could pick him up and have him as a starting quarterback. It feels like he's been around forever because in 2012 he was like being praised as the sure. the next quarterback god to come out of college, but. He's still youngish. I, I see both sides of it. I see, you know, well, Josh Allen needs reps, and he's the franchise quarterback. I also saw what I saw yesterday, Seth, and that was a functional offense for 60 minutes. So I see both sides of it. I don't know what Sean McDermott's going to do. He doesn't always go by the book. He kind of goes by his gut or whatever, you know, whatever the process is um, or, you know, that, that that franchise has determined what the process is. My guess is they're probably going to go back to Josh Allen. But if they started Barkley one more game, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be opposed to it just to see what happens. Does you know can he follow that up against a better opponent? And you know can they can they win another game? Um, but my guess is probably Josh Allen Josh is, is the quarterback start. coming out of the bye. Uh, let's go to the phone line. Scooter and Jamesville kicking us off on the show today. Hey Scooter. Yeah, guys. Uh, just a footnote for the SU game. I had a couple calls from friends of mine different parts of the country. The SU game was taken off the board, and he, I got a couple of calls thinking maybe, you know, Syracuse had a major injury, you know, a dungy situation. I said, no, I didn't hear about it. And what you talked about, about report about 20 players basically transferring out, I got a gut feeling that if there was a definition, a definition of tanking the game, that was it. Because you mentioned it right off the bat. That quarterback never got hit three times and just dropped the ball. And, the, you know, they're jumping off sides half the time. And even one time, the quarterback's running – Looks like for you know inside the, the five yard line and drops the ball and you know, the offensive lineman happened to fall on it. But I tell you something, I mean if you're just sitting back and just watching the game and I mean that team just looked like they gave up before the game even started. I mean I just I mean I don't you know I, I don't know how Bobby Petrino survives this to be honest. And, it, and the guy's got a, you know, a great great record. It's not like he's been losing, but he looked like he's lost everybody and the players don't seem to care anymore. Yeah, yeah, well, well they, he didn't survive. Yeah, it. they they fired him over the weekend. Well, they him. Yeah, okay. they did. They did. Isn't it amazing though? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, we're all talking about Scott Schaefer's situation. You can't get rid of the guy. He had one winning season or two winning seasons, and here's a guy here that's won what eight games in you know a couple years. And wow! But I tell you guys, I mean, if you go back and look at that, the quarterback, I I don't know what he was, was thinking. I mean, he dropped the ball twice off being touched. And then, and then he throws an interception where I don't know where he was throwing it. You know where he was throwing that interception? And no right idea. To the receive. It was actually, you know, and everything's around the, you know, their twenty yard line. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, Scooter, I'm with you. And I suggested last week before the game was even played, I said, you look at the scores from the last four weeks. I, I said it feels like this team has quit on Bobby Petrino. I, I said it with a, a little bit of of doubt, um, but after watching that, I don't doubt it at all. I mean that that team quit on the coach, and Louisville had no other choice but to get rid of Bobby Petrino. Agreed, Seth? I mean, that was yes, they that was to. the definition. No, not the not the part about whether or not to get rid of him. I'm saying, do you agree that the players quit on him? Oh, I, yeah. I mean, there, there's no doubt, yeah. right? I mean, watching that game, how undisciplined they were, the 17 penalties, the turnovers, the guys they just were, didn't seem like they cared. I expected them to be bad, and they were worse than I expected them to be. Uh, I was sitting next to the Louisville Courier-Journal beat writer Jake Lorem, who we had on on Friday, uh, in the press box. And I was just, you know, dur- during that, that four-turnover and six-play stretch, I-, I turned to him after it. I, you know, after, after it seemed like things had calmed down a little bit, right? And, and uh, they were back to, like, 
a semi-normal offense of going three and out rather than turning the ball over, I turn to him and I just go, "Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen something like this? Like this? This is the low point of this season, right?" And he was like, "Yeah, that 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 doesn't happen. I, I mean, even even as bad as Louisville has been, that's not how this goes." And and it it was remote to watch. I will say the best thing that came out of firing Bobby Petrino is that his coach's show was on TV as he got fired. Oh, was that right? As as the reports came out, his coach's show was on TV, and it led to his coach's a, show was in the morning, on Sunday mornings. Yes. Is that right? And it led to a photo of Bobby Petrino on TV doing his coach's show with a scroll along the bottom of the screen saying, "Breaking news: University of Louisville has fired football coach Bobby Petrino." You think he was reading that? What does that say? <laughs> it looks like it in this picture, it does. doesn't it? It looks like he's looking you down at the screen picture somewhere. And I, it does look like it. it. Looks like he's trying to read what huh. the scroll says. That says what? He deserved to be fired. Oh my goodness, um, yes. Yeah, I I agree with Scooter. I they and that that's not to take anything away from Syracuse, but Louisville wanted no part of that game. They they wanted no part of their coach. And as as Jake Lorm told us on the show uh, last week, uh, the first phone call, the second phone call, the third phone call will all be to to Jeff, Jeff Brom. All of them. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. We do need to take a timeout. When we return, we'll switch gears. We'll talk some SU basketball with assistant coach Adrian Autry. Come on back. You're listening to Orange Nation on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by CH Insurance. The Hall of Famer Floyd Little set to join us at the top of hour number two, but we close out hour number one by going to the phone lines. Dom and Syracuse next up on the show. Hey, Dom. Hey, guys. I don't know if you guys have kept up with uh, with this one, but Carmelo Anthony, have you, this thing that's going on in Houston is um, – it's not good for our man here. Uh, I think everyone was happy when he got out of New York, went to OKC, saying that, you know what, he's going to go on to a winning team and have a chance to, to, to make a, finally make the playoffs and make a run. Didn't work out. He went to Houston, a team that uh, got to the Western Conference Finals last year. Even though he went there, I think everyone was under the – had that feeling in their gut that they, we didn't understand how this was going to work out. And, man, it has just gone south with a quickness for Carmelo. One for 11 shooting. My question to you guys, have we seen the last of Carmelo in the NBA? I don't think so. It's an interesting question. I think somebody will get him. I think somebody will take him. Can I just throw out, and we talked about this over the summer, I'm not surprised that this isn't working out in Houston. I, I mean I and and I don't say that because of Mello. I'm 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 not surprised because we knew that they were getting rid of two top defenders and replacing them with Carmelo Anthony and, and Michael Carter Williams. And that is not who either of them are. You know, neither of them are, are those lockdown defenders. So I'm I'm not shocked. You know what Carmelo Anthony really needs to do is and, and this is gonna sound weird, he's gotta take a page out of the, the Vince Carter playbook. I mean Vince Carter has managed to stick around forever. And and his skills are diminished. He's not the same player, but he's got to find a way to to stick around, be that veteran leadership kind of guy, and 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 go stick with somebody. I, I don't know that he wants to do that. I don't know that he's capable of making that change. But it seems like that's what Carmelo Anthony has to do at this point. What has surprised me with this whole thing, Seth, is that he's only played ten games. Like after ten games, they're willing to throw up their hands and say, you know, like. I don't know. The the fact that they knew what they were getting in for, and we've seen this, 
And we've seen this when LeBron James switches teams, that it takes a little while for everybody to mesh and for things to come together. And I'm not saying that this would work if they let it play out over the course of 82 games, but 10 games? Yeah, I don't know I don't know that they gave it enough time, but I also think that it it was fairly obvious it wasn't going to work. I mean, you were you were bringing him in to replace a player who just did something uh, totally different than than what his skill set is. But and how often? And do that was you the first problem. Understood. But how often do you see a team make a move in the off season? And whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you say, "Well, I don't know if this will work or not." But how often do you see that player then get waived after ten games? Well, but here's the difference. Here's here's the real difference there. Carmelo Anthony was a veteran minimum hire no, I, for them. But, you know, so but, so it's not like it's not like there was anything there that was attaching them to him for the long term. It's not like there was anything there that was attaching him them hang to on, him hang on. for anything know, more than that. I know, I know he's not making a lot what, two point four million dollars. Right. I know he's not but I'm saying how often do you see that period? How often do you see a guy of of Carmelo's but, stature? But I guess I guess my somewhere. point. But I guess my point in bringing up his minimum his minimum salary and the contract that they got. I don't him care on, how much money he makes. No, no, no. My point in bringing that up is that he's not a major move. I, I don't he care was, how much money he, he was makes. Not, but no, no, no. But again, my point is not about the money. It's about like a, a signifying of what they wanted Carmelo Anthony in the building for. It was not to be a star. It was not to be a starter. It was not to be a major piece. It was to be a role player, Seth, and it hasn't worked. You cut role pro- players all the time. You're proving my point for me, though. You bring, He's not a key piece to the puzzle. So why in the world would you give up on him after 10 games? All, all I'm saying is I don't disagree that they're parting ways with him because it's obviously not working. My point is, is if you're bringing him in to be a role player and you're paying him 2.4 million dollars why wouldn't you let let it play out and see if all right if we reduce his minutes or we bring him in in this situation or we put him on the floor with this combination after 10 games is that really enough time to to see whether or not this could work and i i i guess that that's my point is that you you don't see this you don't see a, a veteran who has been to nine or ten all-star games go somewhere in in a you know go to a new situation in the offseason and you never see the guy get cut after after 10 games it that's the part that surprises me right. not that it hasn't worked it surprises me that they are throwing up their hands after 10 games no but you know who does get cut after 10 games if it's not working out role players yes so, so it, it but signals not a something role player like like Carmelo, or you know, you you mentioned Vince Carter or Dwight Howard. I mean, how many different? And, and I realize Dwight Howard makes more money, so I, and I I know that's where you're going to go with that. But how often do we see a guy bounce from team to team, and you know, he's a he's a star. He does. The guy doesn't get cut after ten games. I guess my point is, is he's not some random guy from the, no, from the not. G League. He is Carmelo Anthony. He's not Michael Carter Williams. It would make it if they came yes. out. If they came out that this weekend and they were like, "Hey, we're cutting Michael Carter Williams," it wouldn't be a story. That is a good example. You, he, to me, he deserves better than that. Which I makes agree. me wonder if there's something going on behind the scenes. I, I don't know. I think um, I, you know, and, and and this was my my first reaction to this when I saw it Saturday was, well, this is a pretty sad way for a Hall of Famer to to kind of go out because could he latch on somewhere? Sure, I just I don't know that he will, and and it and it like I don't I don't know about you, but to me it feels very much like this is kind of the end, like in, in, if not if not the end, like it's pretty close. Dom said, would he play again? I say yes. I think he probably will. I think so too. But it but it feels very close to the end, and and. I think that this is, for a guy who is, let's throw every card on the table, a no-doubter Hall of Famer. And the only discussion about Carmelo Anthony in the Hall of Fame is whether or not he will be first ballot. But 
it's a pretty sad way for this whole thing to end that he, he had to get out of New York, he had to get out of Oklahoma City, and it's not working out in Houston after 10 games. Like, it, I... It's it's just a and very, he had to get out of Denver and he had to get out of Denver. But but I, I was just talking about the last year, the last last fourteen months. You know, it's it's really a sad kind of way to look at the end of what is a really phenomenal, really great all time great career. Yeah, it's it is sad. Um, I think he'll play again. Somebody will take. I mean, he's not making a lot of money, so you know, two point four so million dollars minimum. Yeah, I mean, so. It's prorated, so he's going to get less than $2 million to go somewhere else. Somebody's going to pay that. Absolutely. If if nothing else, to put bodies in seats. Now, will he go there is the question. Like, if his only options are teams he doesn't want to play for. Right. That's I, the question. I don't know. Um, but I mean, somebody's going to try to pick him up. Who's calling think. him? Is it is it Boston or is it the Clippers? There's a difference. Yeah, right. There is a difference. There's a difference. So, if the Hawks come calling, you're not going. Hey, he was on the Hawks for like a day. Well, He's already okay. played for if the they, Hawks. If they come calling back, <laughs> you're not going. It is sad. Um, and it's, again, that, the surprising part I to me forgot, is I that they gave up. Yeah, he was. The former Atlanta Hawk great Carmelo Anthony. That. Might be his future as well. Um, it is sad. And, and that's the surprising part for me, that they're throwing up their hands so early in this experiment and not trying to make it work. If we put him on the court with this guy or this guy, we limit his minutes. We, I, they, they're, they just, they're throwing up their hands. That's it. After 10 games. And, and also look at the look at the two guys who have acquired him, uh, Sam Presti and and now Daryl Morey. And it's you know when you're when you're doing a ranking of like the smart guys in basketball, the well-run organizations, the good smart front offices who are who are kind of ahead of the game, those guys are at or near the top of the list. And if they're just like, yeah, it doesn't work, cut bait. I don't know. Which leads me to believe that something's going on. Something more scenes. than just the basketball is happening. Right? Yes. I mean, part of the reason he wanted to go there is because of his friendships. And you would think that, if nothing else, for $2 million, if he's a, a locker room presence and a leader and a veteran guy and he plays some minutes here and there and maybe, you know, every five games he gives you an offensive boost, I mean, you would think that, okay, maybe it's worth it. Worth it. it. But they're obvi- they obviously don't think it's worth it. So is it is it Mike D'Antoni and him? Is it... Front office is I, I wouldn't well, imagine that always, it's that was always the I don't want to call it a wild card but that was always kind of the wild card right. wasn't it that he I, got, I would imagine he got it's not Dan him Tony. and his teammates he like got he Dan went Tony there because quit. of his teammates he got Dan Tony to quit at one point like he that that is everything you everything you read about the Knicks Mike D'Antoni and Carmelo Anthony is that Carmelo Anthony pushed him so far over the edge that at some point Mike D'Antoni was like I can't take it anymore I'm out of here. So it stands to reason that that's what happened. It's not the teammates. He went there because of the teammates. So that was a, a, a big reason why he wanted to go to Houston was because of who was there, the personnel that was there. Everybody said, Could, "Can you make it work with Mike D'Antoni?" You know, they said all the right things publicly. I just wonder if behind the scenes, if if it just wasn't working out, wouldn't surprise me. All right, we need to take a timeout. Uh, when we return, we'll bring on the Hall of Famer Floyd Little. Keep it here. Hour number two of Orange Nation kicks off right after this on ESPN Radio.